0: We're going to be talking about God and his sovereignty. And that word probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It has something to do with rule. It has something to do with power. We think of sovereignty in government. We think of sovereignty in rulers. And so we have a a vague idea about it. But really, this is a study for me that's been going on for years. During a time when I had uh, my own struggles, my own crisis in faith, I got to a point where I had to come to grips with who God was and who I was. And when I was able to do that, everything else fell into place. And God methodically stayed with me until I learned that lesson. And then many people know a few years ago, I actually started doing a deeper study on this subject, and one of the elders asked me if I'd like to teach a class um, last year, which I did. Now, the quarters are broken up into 26 weeks, or 26 class periods, and most of the time you have a gospel meeting or something that causes you to miss some of those meetings, but in my class we had all 26. And Tom was one of my co-teachers uh, in this class on the sovereignty, but I'll tell you, there was so much material that we still had to leave some things out. And so I got it in my mind that when I was going to stand before you today, I was going to speak on the sovereignty of God for 30 minutes. That's going to be a very hard thing to do. There are so many different places, so many different things you can do. So I began, I began working up lessons. And first I thought, well, we need to talk about what sovereignty is. Let's talk about it from an academic standpoint. So we're all on the same page of what that means. And I thought, no, that might not be the best thing to do for a 30-minute talk. So I thought, I know, I love biographies. I love looking at the Bible because they can sometimes explain subjects. God does a great, great job at taking biographies of people And teaching very deep fundamental lessons. And so I thought that's what I'll do. And I zeroed in on the book of Jeremiah. Because God tells Jeremiah, I want you to go to the potter, and I want you to watch. And then I've got a message for you. And you know the story of the potter and the clay. Jeremiah went there and saw the potter spinning clay on the wheel, and there was a a spoil in, in in the vessel he was making. So he started all over he destroyed that to make something different and what god's message to jeremiah was is do you see how the potter has exerts control over the clay he could do whatever he wants to the clay he can do it because he's the maker and god sets himself up he was teaching jeremiah i am the maker of all the earth i am the maker of all the nations i am the maker of everything i am the potter I can do what I want with my creation. And he specifically was talking about the nations. He was about to bring judgment upon the Israelites. And he said, look, I can build the Israelites up for glory or because of my sovereignty, I can can tear them down. I can raise another nation up to execute my judgment because I am the potter. What he was teaching him was a lesson of sovereignty he could do whatever he wants and he doesn't have to answer to anyone else about why he does it. And I thought, no, the book of Job. The book of Job is a better thing. I'll, I'll, I'll preach on the book of Job. Because we read the book of Job and to many of us, that's a story of suffering. How to deal with suffering. How to handle suffering, especially terrible suffering. But you know, in reality, the book of Job... It's not really a book on suffering as much as it is about God's sovereignty. Suffering is the vehicle he uses. Remember the story, Job loses everything. He loses his wealth, he loses his respect, he loses his children, he loses his health, he loses everything. And then there is a dialogue between him and his three friends, and his three friends are saying to Job, Job. God rewards people who obey him and God punishes people who don't. The reason you're going through all this is because you sin. Just, re- just repent, confess, and God will reward you again. And Job's thinking, I, I didn't sin. I know I didn't sin. If somebody would tell me what I would do, I would repent of it. But I know I have been righteous. I know I, I have not done anything to deserve this. And his friends started getting very, very agitated with him because they thought Job was just ignoring and being prideful. And the more they started telling Job, you're a sinner, God's punishing you, just do the right thing, the more agitated Job got back with them. And he throughout the book goes from saying, I wish, I wish I could just talk to God. I wish I could just just ask Him why this is happening. Chapter 9, I love chapter 9, he says, He understands God's sovereignty. He said, God is so far above us. God is so powerful. God is so far removed from people who can approach him. He goes, I wish I had a mediator. Someone that was in a position that could put their hand on my shoulder and his other hand on God's shoulder and mediate between us because there's so much between us. And yet the more his friends started getting irritated with him, the more he started getting irritated with, with them, and that started believing over in his attitude towards God. Where he started losing his patience with God. Until you get all the way to chapter 34 where his talk to God was, God, I demand that you come and you explain yourself. And he says, here is my signature on a summons. I summons you to come and stand before me. You've got to be careful what you wish for. Because it's shortly after that that God speaks to him from the whirlwind. But God doesn't respond to his summons to give an account for what he's doing. God never does even tell Job what he's doing. God has one message in that whole few chapters where he's speaking to Job. And that is very simply, Job, who are you? Who are you to demand anything of me? Job gets it and he puts his hand over his mouth and said, once I've spoken... Twice I've spoken, I won't speak anymore. God's like, no, I'm not done with you yet. And the message that Job learns and his friends learn is no one can demand anything of God. That's sovereignty. Sovereignty is not just power. Sovereignty is not just the right to rule. Sovereignty is saying that no one has the right to demand anything of me. And that's the position God's in. And that's probably one of the toughest, toughest lessons that we learn. And then I thought, no, I'm going to preach on Nebuchadnezzar. Is there a better example of God teaching a man what true sovereignty is than Nebuchadnezzar? And that's what we're going to talk about because I ran out of time of redoing more and more lessons. So we're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar in just a few moments. But there are some very important fundamental truths about God's sovereignty that all of these stories tie them together. These are truths about who God is that we all must come to grips with. We live in a society right now that could care less about God's sovereignty. People who will not even entertain the idea that they need to bring themselves into subjection to anyone, let alone God. The first message that we must learn is that God has inherent power, authority, power, and the ability to do whatever he wants. That word inherent is so important because that word inherent means authority starts with God. God doesn't get his authority from anywhere else. That is inherent because of who he is. In fact, every other authority that flows to anyone else comes from him. He doesn't have to get it from someone else. It's all within him. And his power as the creator to do anything that he wants is the power behind his sovereignty. And God says over and over, I can do all that I please. I can do all that's in my heart. I can do everything under heaven that I wish and no one can stop me. That's power. That's authority. And that sets up the truth about God's sovereignty. We also know about sovereignty. As the, now, this is the big one. This is the one I struggle with. This is the one that the world struggles with. And I bet, if we're honest, this is the one that most of us struggle with when it comes to God's sovereignty. And that is, God answers to no man, no power, or any other authority. That was the message that Job learned. That was the message we're going to see in just a moment that Nebuchadnezzar learned. That is, we can't demand anything of God. We can't put God on trial. We can't tell God that he has to explain himself to us. If we do, we'll have the same reaction that Job had when he tried to do that. And remember, when Job did that, he was still suffering pain. He had still lost 10 children. He was still bankrupt. He was still being made fun of by all the children and the other people They had totally ridiculed him because of what he was going through. And yet, even in that, God said, Who are you, Job, to to, to demand anything of me? And then the last thing that we're going to look at is that God has the right to make the rules and the powers to enforce those rules on whoever he wishes. Because of God's sovereignty, because God has that authority, Because God is the maker of all things including us. God has the right. Just like the potter had the right over his clay, God had the right has the right to determine what he wants to do with it and what his creation is to do. These are the fundamental truths about God's sovereignty that challenge us as we buck against his sovereignty and bringing ourselves in subjection to him. So I said we're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar. You remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar is the one uh, king of Babylonian, at the time, the greatest sovereign leader in the world. He started marching through and taking nation after nation after nation down. He even subdued the mighty nation of Egypt. Now, Jeremiah was living in the time when Nebuchadnezzar was marching through. And God said to Jeremiah, I'm exerting my sovereignty. I told Israel, I told Israel that if they didn't obey me, I would scatter them throughout the earth. So now you have Nebuchadnezzar taking over Israel, bringing all the captives into the land. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel are going to be there. Why did this happen? Well, There are a couple of different reasons one from a geopolitical standpoint is nebuchadnezzar thought it was going to be easier to maintain control over his empire if he could take in the leaders and the influential people and indoctrinate them into the babylonian captivity that's what his father started that was a little different from the way nations had done it before and it proved to be very successful but there's also a theological reason why he did it and that's because god said to the israelites i will scatter you across the nations so and the Lord said I will scatter you among all the people from all the earth from one end to the other and there you shall serve gods of wood and stone which neither your fathers have known and so the book of Habakkuk starts off a few decades before this where God says oh, I'm going to do a great things that when you hear it your ears will tingle and he says I'm going to send the." the Babylonians here. And so what we see is God truly is the potter. God truly is sovereign over Israel. He truly is sovereign over Babylonia. Everything that's happening is happening according to the purposes and the will of God. And so we see God and his sovereignty carrying out his purposes. That's the whole book of Daniel. God is in control of everything. But there was a king who had to learn that. You remember at the book of, uh, in the book of 2 Kings, finally God carried out his purpose. Jehoiakim is defeated. And the scriptures say that in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim became a servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. This was the beginning of the end. But God was in control of all this. And so you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the service of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's God was Marduk. This was the God who gave him the victory over all the other lands. But God's going to teach him in the next few chapters what true sovereignty is about. So you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter 1 you remember that part of the preparation were that the exile people were to partake of the king's delicacies the king's food. They went through a routine that would prepare them to stand before the mighty Nebuchadnezzar. There's a problem, though, with the Jews. Some of the food was not kosher, it was not clean, and so they didn't want to eat it. There's a subtle way you see God's sovereignty even in this place. Because think of three youths who are they to stand up against the king's servants and say, we don't want to eat your food? In many cases, that would be an execution right there. How dare you say this? But God gave them favor in the eyes of their captors. You see, God's still controlling this. So Daniel said, look, just give us ten days. Ten days we'll eat the food, our food, the vegetables, then you look at us. If everything's fine, good. If it's not, then we'll, we'll eat the king's delicacies. We'll do what you want. And God, in his sovereignty, gave favor to the eyes of the captives, and they did it. So they were able to stand true to what God said. They presented themselves over to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king found him ten times, the boy's ten times better than anyone else. Then in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Remember this dream, we're not going to go into a lot of detail, but it was about a big statue made of different different material. There was a hand that carved out a rock out of a mountain and smashed it to pieces. Nebuchadnezzar was frightened because of this. And one thing I didn't mention about Nebuchadnezzar is he was constantly looking over his back as he was building his empire. He constantly had to go back to Babylon to fight off people who were trying to get the throne from him. And this made him very untrusting of people. He was a very pragmatic man. He didn't believe people. He made them stand up and and prove their loyalty to him. So what he did is he called in all the wise men and he said, you guys have the gods in you, so I've had this dream that frightened me. What I want you to do is give me the interpretation of the dream, but I also want you to tell me what was in the dream. And the wise men got together and they said... Okay, tell us what the dream was and we'll give you the interpretation. He said, no. If you, got God, if you got the hand of the gods in you, then you tell me what the dream was. That's how I'll know that the interpretation is true. And they said, look, no one's ever asked us to do this before in the history of man. No one's ever asked something like this. Just tell us the dream and we'll tell you what the interpretation is. He said, I know you're just trying to buy time for your life. Tell me the dream. Tell me the interpretation or I'm going to kill all of you. It's very pragmatic. Put Put up or shut up. Well, they couldn't do it, so he gave the orders that all the magicians would be put to death. Well, Daniel was one of these magicians, and word came to Daniel saying, look, you're about to die. And Daniel said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Give us a chance to go to our God. Perhaps he will give us the dreams. And you know the story. He did. And so the next day, he goes and stands before King Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, King Nebuchadnezzar, I can give you the interpretation of the dream. king said, can you tell me what the dream was? He said, I can't do it. Wisdom, there's no wisdom in man that can do it, but God gave it to me. The God of heaven, he can make this known to me. And so we see that he interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, here's what I want you to see. Nebuchadnezzar's reaction in verses... 46 and 47. And as we look through these three different times where God is teaching Nebuchadnezzar what sovereignty is about, I want you to notice the progression that he goes through as he starts teaching him what it means that God is sovereign. It starts off with this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king... Answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal that mystery. You see, when Daniel when when Nebuchadnezzar saw the true power of God, he acknowledged it. And that was lesson one that God wanted to teach him. But he had some very big lessons to learn before he truly understood. How God was the God of all gods, even over the God of Marduk. And so we move over to the second lesson, which is found in Daniel chapter three, where you remember Daniel had a dream about a statue, and and one of the or Daniel uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about the statue. One of Daniel's uh, uh, interpretation was that you, King Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. That's you. He must have liked that. Because the next thing he does in chapter 3 is he builds a 90-foot statue made of gold. And he tells the people, that whenever you hear the music, you stop what you're doing, and you bow down, and you worship this statue that I have created. And we don't know where Daniel is. Daniel is not mentioned in chapter 3. He may have been out doing some work in the, in the uh, uh, empire somewhere else. He may have been in another part doing his work. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were here, and that's, that's who we're talking about. So the music played, but these people can't, these children of God can't bow down and worship another god, so they don't. And there are some people that really are looking for a reason to tattle on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because of the favor the king had given him. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to worship the the image. Word gets back to the king, and the king can't believe it. He hadn't hadn't had a lick of trouble from these boys. They were ideal uh, servants of his. And he asked them, is it true? Boys, is it true what I hear from you that you're not worshiping? You're not worshiping my idol, my statue? And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Here's the sovereignty of Nebuchadnezzar. See, Nebuchadnezzar was the king. He could say whatever he wanted. His word was law. Latin calls it rex lex, the king is law. It means the king could say anything. He could change his mind. He could do whatever. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Later on, we won't talk about it. We'll talk about the Persians. It was the opposite. The law was the king. Lex rex. Once the Persians made a law, it couldn't be altered. But Nebuchadnezzar, he was the law. And so he gives these boys a second chance. He says, if you, when the sound of the trijan and the harps and the bagpipes and every kind of music, when, they, when it plays, if you fall down and worship... The image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And whose God is it that will deliver you out of my hands? Uh, He's about to find out. What God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? And they said, We don't need to think about this, O Nebuchadnezzar. Our God is able to deliver us if he chooses. You see, they understood his power, his sovereignty, his ability to do whatever he wants. But they also realized that it all rested with God. And they said to him, even if he doesn't choose to save us, we will not bow down and worship. And that rage that he flew into burned over into the punishment. He commanded that the furnace be heated up seven times what it normally was. It was so hot that when the people, the guards, escorted the boys there, they were burned before the boys ever got there, and they threw them in. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was a pragmatic man. His burning anger caused him to execute this judgment, but when the boys were in, thrown in bound, he noticed they were loose, and they were walking around. And then he saw one as the Son of God standing with him. And so immediately he said, Boys, boys, come on out. And so he learns the the second lesson of sovereignty. Listen to the language when he sees what God has done for them. And Nebuchadnezzar answered, and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servant, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies, rather than to worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language who speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, and their for there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. So not only is God the God who can reveal mysteries, God is now a God who can deliver his people, even from the hands of the king. And then we move into the next one, and I appreciate you letting us go through these lessons very quickly. We see a very interesting thing in Daniel chapter 4, because the author switches not Daniel writing chapter 4 it's Nebuchadnezzar the entire chapter of Nebuchadnezzar is written from him and inserted here something happened in chapter 4 that causes Nebuchadnezzar to learn ultimately what sovereignty is all about and so we see his greeting in verses 1 through 3 Writing in his own hand, he said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the people, nations, and language that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seems good to me to show you signs and wonders that the Most High, this is the first time he gets it, there is only one God that can occupy the position as Most High God, and it's no longer Marduk. It's the God of Daniel. And he calls him the Most High What the Most High has done for me. Listen to this. How great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures from generation to generation. And so, he has this greeting and then he tells what the purpose of this chapter that he's pinning is. He has another dream. This time he doesn't threaten to kill everyone he tells the people what the dream is. Hey, I had this dream. It's a tree. It's a big tree. Reaches out into heaven, and all the animals and all the birds, they make a home here. But then there was, a, there was a voice that said, Chop down the tree. And then it said that he would be sent out into the fields to eat animals, to eat grass like the animals. He would live among the animals. He would not live among men. He would grow feathers uh, like birds. He would become, he would, he, would, he would lose his mind. And this was a, tree, uh, a decree from God. And, and he didn't know what it meant, but it scared him. The magicians, they were honest. They said, King, we, we don't know what this means. Daniel came in, and Daniel knew what it was, and he said, by now he must have had a good relationship with, with King Nebuchadnezzar. Because he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, I, wish, I wish that this was, given to your enemies and not to you. And he told him what the dream was. Until he learned that the Most High God rules over heavens and over the nations and gives power to whoever he pleases, he would be in this condition. The, execute, the, the sentence isn't executed immediately. Twelve months pass. Nebuchadnezzar's walking along his palace. He's looking at Beautiful Babylon, you remember the seven wonders of the ancient world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. These are things that he did. These are things that he created. And he says, look at what I have done with my hands, by my might, by my power. And immediately the voice came from heaven saying the sentence is decreed. Sovereignty has been taken away from you. I tell you, only only a sovereign being can remove and give sovereignty to others at will. And he was driven off and he was he was caught he, he spent time with the animals until the scriptures say he learned that God was sovereign in heaven. And so the passage tells us the passage tells us that here they're going to head here the, the magicians couldn't make um, couldn't give the interpretations of the green. But we see that God, Daniel does interpret it, and God does touch the king. Now, here's the lesson that he learns. Remember, he's pen in chapter 4. This is the ultimate lesson of sovereignty that Daniel learns. He says, And at the end of days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and I honored him who lives forever for his dominion, is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures for generation to generation. This is what he learned. This is what he learned when God touched him and his sovereignty. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. You get what he's saying? The mighty Nebuchadnezzar, who had all dominion over all the earth, says, even me, I'm counted as nothing compared to God. And he does according to all that is in his will among the host of heavens and the inhabitants of the earth. You see the sovereignty language he's talking about? God can do anything he wants in heaven or in earth. He does all that he pleases. No one can stay his hand. That is, once God decides to do something, no one can stop him. No power can stop him. No authority can stop him. Once God sets his mind to do something, it will happen unless he himself relents. We cannot, cannot stop God from doing what he said. And then probably the biggest lesson that we all need to learn is what he says next. Maybe the hardest lesson for all of us to learn. And that is, no one can say to him, what have you done? You see what Nebuchadnezzar's saying? No one can say to God, explain yourself. Explain why you did what you did. Give me a reason Why? That's ultimate sovereignty. That's what Job learned. Job learned that we can't put God on trial. We can't demand answers from God because he is so far above us, so far beyond us. Can you see where our our society is moving away from this? We don't look to God. We don't treat him as though he's sovereign. But here's the truth of it. It doesn't matter whether or not we acknowledge the sovereignty of God. It does not make God less sovereign. There's nothing in the Bible that says we have to acknowledge Him. He's sovereign whether we do or not. And there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And it doesn't matter whether we believe it or not. So look at the progression of Nebuchadnezzar's lessons. Chapter 2, he learns God knows all things. Chapter 3, God can deliver from anyone's hand. And then ultimately in chapter 4, God can do whatever he wants. Folks, that's sovereignty. A couple of weeks ago, I was looking at a video of this young woman who claimed to be an atheist. That I don't believe in God. And what she said broke my heart because I think it is endemic of a heart problem that God's creation is starting to get. She said, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. But even if Jesus himself came down and proved to me that he was God, I still wouldn't worship him. Folks, what do you do? What do you do when your attitude is I'm going to do what I want to do regardless? One of the greatest gifts that every person in this room has, one of the greatest gifts that we have, is God loves us so much that His long-suffering is waiting right now. He doesn't want any of us to perish. His long-suffering is giving us time to repent. But you know what the two-edged sword the long-suffering is? Sometimes we can think that God's forgotten or the judgment's not going to come. Sometimes rather than use that long suffering and love that God has given us, we can let it harden our heart to the point where we say nothing's going to happen. I can continue to live the way that I did that that I'm living and I'm going to be fine. We're not going to be fine. Because there is a day of judgment. All authority, sovereignty has been given to our Lord and King Jesus. One day his long suffering is going to come to an end. One day, 75 to 100 billion people, however many people he has created, every single one of them will stand before him. And every one of us, every person in this room, will bow the knee to him and confess him as Lord. We're either going to do it as his servants willingly, or we're going to do it as a conquered foe. But there will come a day when God's sovereignty will reign supreme over all of his creation. And knowing this, knowing his sovereignty, knowing who he is, it will change our lives if we believe it. And it will change our relationship with him. And I encourage you, there's so much we could talk about his sovereignty. I encourage you to spend time thinking about what our relationship to Him is in light of His sovereignty. I thank you for your attention. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com, questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.